Hello everyone and welcome to the Property Show podcast. My name is Monty and I'm your host of the show that investigates and discusses the latest news and views in the UK property market, all delivered in a down-to-earth, challenging and hopefully witty way. We have another two property legends with us today who the words property expert were probably invented for. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by the charismatic and dare I say very handsome Ed Mead. Welcome Ed. I've got my arms in the air, everybody. I don't get that very often. Thanks a lot. Nice to see you. Ed is a property legend, having worked with Douglas and Gordon for many years and uh, is now founder of prop tech firm Vuba. Uh, We also have a newcomer to this programme joining us on the line. Yes, we are tech savvy like that. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome Rob Ellis, the founder of EasyProperty.com and co-host on the wonderful Property Radio. Hello, Rob. Morning or afternoon. It's afternoon now. It's been one of those days today, I think. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so, right, there's there's loads to talk about. We'll try our best to squeeze in as much as possible in the next 25 minutes or so. So, uh, first off, Ed, where, where where are we with the market at the moment? It's it's two minutes to 12 on the Brexit clock. And for us, uh, well, for us, the year started off pretty promising, actually. But are people starting to stagnate again? And is Brexit really dragging everything down? Well, um, let's do what we usually do, which is talk about the two distinct markets, London and the Southeast and everybody else. Um, For everybody else, the market has been uh, a relatively normal market insofar as once you get outside London and the Southeast, people don't have the luxury of making discretionary sales. They move because they have to. They move because kids are moving school, jobs, you know, whatever. They have have normal reasons for moving. Mm. Added to which, if you go again outside London and the South East, property prices haven't been that much higher, actually, and even in nominal terms than they were in 2007-8. So it's been a relatively um, sensible market up until relatively recently. Mm. Um, now, suddenly, you're seeing um, a combination of the ongoing, unbelievably irritating uncertainty <laughs> yeah. with a well-telegraphed slowdown in London. Now, the odd thing about the London and the South East, particularly the London market, is that if you go back to 0809, that market rebounded very, very quickly after the financial crisis, mm. the sort of post-Lehman crisis, um, for more or less the same reasons that I think things might bounce back um, if we actually get a Brexit rather than kicking the can down the road. Uh, who knows what will happen? But I think if it's a very bad Brexit, um, I, we end up with some sort of chaotic no deal. I think most people feel that the pound, which is already weak, will probably weaken further. Mm. You're looking at central London and London property, some London property prices down as much as 20, 25%. You add in a chunk for the currency and suddenly you're going to have what happened in 0809. Foreigners will come ploughing and think, well, hang on a minute, this is very yeah. cheap. Thank well, you very much. We're already seeing quite a bit of that. We seeing are seeing quite of, a bit of that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So that's, that's definitely coming through. If we get a good Brexit and actually everyone starts to get in line and we get a relatively sensible, well, I'll just describe it as an outcome and actually something <laughs> happens on March the 29th, then I think confidence will return and people will start buying. So I think the medium-term outlook really isn't too bad. Mm. Uh, there's loads of stuff we'll come on to talk about in terms of the legacy of help to buy, um, whether the slowdown in London is going to ripple out in terms of prices, but that two-tier market continues. Rob, are you, are you seeing similar things? Are you? Is, it, is there going to be any such thing as a good Brexit? Um, I think, again, you know, I don't know whether... We should fixate on on Brexit as a no. Uh, I, I hate really fixating on Brexit. 
well, I think that's what everyone's yeah. doing at the moment. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I, I agree with Ed. I think you know it's, it's definitely caused you know, substantial problems over the last year or so. But I think you know, again, coming back to London, I think this is this is a market that's been affected far longer than just over Brexit. And you know, I would hope that we can get some kind of bounce very soon. But and and of course. You know, confidence is intrinsic in getting that to happen in, into whatever market we're talking about. But I do think that you know the government as a whole over the last, well, quite number of years has managed to um, cock up the, the property market as much as they possibly could uh, on a number of different aspects <laughs> and yes. and probably look at you know, the stamp duty issues and other things that, have, that they've done, which have caused probably bigger problems than the, than the Brexit Act. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> sorry, that was me blowing my nose, by the way, guys. I do apologise. I got a bit of a cold and cough. I didn't mean to cause complete I didn't, silence. I didn't, I didn't know if you'd finished. Come on, Rob, carry on. I was enjoying that. I, was enjoying I thought you that. really didn't enjoy that. <laughs> no, you, you carry on. Robert, Don't worry, Robert I'll do it again. Robert just shot himself in if the If it's that easy it. to put you off, I, I've got lots of other things up my sleeve. I was done. Well, I think you're right. By the way, I would. I, well, I would just add, uh, Mom, that actually I, I got so bored in the past talking about stamp duty and 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 on going. Bear in mind that even if foreigners do come back, they're going to be paying even more stamp even duty. Even more, yes, yes that's again. Right, yeah. Um, so I think the ongoing punishment, quite that, rightly that, so, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's been. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I don't know whether how you'd feel about that if you were buying a flat in Paris or something like that, and you were being punitively um, taxed because you were a foreigner. Um, you know, well, I, I have I've, actually bought a house in France some years ago and, and did get punitively taxed and, and abused all the way through the process of owning it. So I think, um, yeah, I don't think we're the only ones that go down that road. Yeah, well, that's no. that, that's fair enough. I mean, you know, London they is one of those... in New Zealand now, haven't they? they, they <laughs> well, London is one of those sorry. places that people... Well, New Zealand, funnily enough, is a really interesting place because the the super uber wealthy have apparently been buying in New Zealand very expensive properties because they consider it to be the kind of place they all want to congregate in on their private jets <laughs> if the balloon goes up because it's so far away from anywhere that it's a place that they're buying these amazing hilltop retreats in God knows where for yeah. millions of pounds. What I don't understand with these people is that to get to the other side of the earth, you've got to travel around the earth. And if the balloon's gone up and Kim Jong-un has decided to blow the world up, then how the hell do you get there? Anyway, Rob, have you got a place in New Zealand just uh, waiting for that? Uh, no, but I have got quite a few friends down there and um, hopefully they'll be all right if we're not. But um, yeah, it, it is, a, I mean, again, if you look at their lifestyle, why wouldn't you? I mean, in fairness, it's, it's a beautiful way to live and yeah, everyone seems to have these batches Very nice place to live. Very nice yeah. place to live if you like sheep. Oh, well, there is that. It's a lovely place. It's not the most active place in the world unless you want to go hiking and stuff, but it is stunning. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, yeah, you touched on it, Rob, that politics is, well, it's in meltdown at the moment, isn't it? There's a new party, potentially a second referendum, which is just what everyone needs. Um, does this all mean that housing just gets kicked down the road yet again? Are we are we ever well, going to have a joined up policy where housing's concerned? Well, I think for that, yeah, you've got to have a, an actual housing minister that knows what he's doing and actually is there more than five minutes. And I, I can't remember <laughs> how many housing ministers we've gone it's through. about eight now, I think, years. isn't it? More than that. Oh, it might even be more, I think. Yeah. You know, I know their average is less than a year. So, yeah, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And and you look at any sort of... I'm quite down on, on politicians at the moment, as I think probably most of the country is. And yeah. I don't think there's ever been a been a period in our uh, country's wonderful history that you, people have actually had such disdain towards the politicians and, and thought that none of them are actually worth the time they've spent with. But, um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, we... We have to have the ability to have a stable platform and 
you know, if you had a business, you would only ever have someone running that side of the business that actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. And the fact of the matter is, if you keep destabilizing it by moving people around, you're never really committing to that side of the economy. And, and I think that's where we're at with the, the government and, ha- and previous governments. For a long time back, that there, we had, do not have stability in the housing sector uh, from government down. Uh, and you're never going to get a, a decent platform. Do you to think build it's off. time to take it out of politics? I mean, I would love to see. The, I mean, the problem is that, you know, whether we're talking about new homes, builders, the way people, what sort of housing is required, the planning system, and everything else, um, you've got to have a long-term solution to it. And I think it's not just the fact that we have politicians who aren't in place for very long; it's that we have policies that aren't in place for very long. Because, you know, p- Parliament has a natural five-year cycle. <laughs> and it's not really enough. You need a 20-year cycle, 25. You need a generational cycle to get back into what we need to be doing. Is it time to take it out of politics? I think it's time to take pretty much everything out of politics. <laughs> moment, but, yeah. um, I don't know how you'd actually do it in, in any sort of way, shape or form. And I'm not sure that any government is actually going to you know, vote for that Christmas. Um, I'd like I'd to see... We have an awful lot of turkeys around at the moment. Yeah, I'd like to see a proper... Maybe a cross-party, long-term, like a housing czar appointed. Yeah, well, that's the word um, I was going to use. That, that some, I, I was always know, amazed. Maybe one of you two. Well, I was always amazed. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I'm trying to make too my many life less busy. No, 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 no. <laughs> my life has got far too busy, and the last thing I want to do is get even busier. But, but um, I always wondered why back in 0809, the government at the time were so obsessed with the idea of bailing out banks that they didn't really concentrate too much on the house builders, some of whom really were in serious trouble back then. Mm. And, of course, they've all bounced back with help to buy and everything else in a big way. But I'm slightly surprised the government didn't actually dive in and think about buying one of them yeah, or, or totally taking one of them over yeah. and perhaps running it as a state-sponsored house builder. Correct. I mean, they could have done some things I would have thought far more interesting than saving the bankers. Sorry, I've got the wrong vowel that, there at the beginning. That's the key, though, isn't it, Ed? <laughs> I mean, the reality is that we are vastly under-housed in this country. Um, we do need a lot more housing. We have got a whole problem with the planning um, process that it takes too long, it's too complicated, it's too expensive. We don't get small builders having any real leeway in there. Everything is sort of master plan from government down, which means you've got to have 200 acres of national house builder type stock to be able to build anything these days. And, and I just, you know, talking to small builders that I've been working with for many, many years, you know, they're looking at buying a site now. If it hasn't got planning, the reality is they're not going to be off site having sold it for probably two years. Yeah, by the time they've gone through the processes, mm. bought it, got the planning, um, started getting on site, built the thing out and moved on. And I'm talking for a couple of units. Mm. Now, that has got to be wrong because how on earth can you actually even program anything two years ahead with, with understanding house prices, what's going to happen with the economy, where are you going to be, how do you price these things? How do you then do the appraisals and, and actually get it right or wrong? Got to stop and put people off actually building things. And, of course, with the extra stamp duty, if you are looking at – the guys that used to buy and refurbish houses, it's now so expensive, that market's almost mm. gone. So it's very difficult at the moment, just through some stupidity that's come into the marketplace, mostly from government. God, I'm giving government a hard time today, but, you know, uh, hell, everyone else is. Um, <laughs> Take the easy win. But, yeah, exactly. I'll give them a <laughs> kicking while they're down. Um, but, you know, I think you know these things have to change. I mean, you can't expect a small builder that's going to build a couple of houses a year and there's lots of people out there who want to do it. And all mm. of a sudden that adds up to a decent and meaningful number. But if you're, if you're trying to take two years to actually build a couple of houses, it's broken. Yeah. So I was going to come on to builders, actually, because 
I, I do feel that the smaller house builders are sort of the the future because the um uh, the, some of the bigger builders i mean you've seen them in the news loads of times around incentives the quality of the build the leasehold issues are they ever going to get it right and 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 build the type of affordable homes that that people really want and need um, over to you on that one ed well i mean the, my experience has been in london and uh the complaints you hear in London are about tower blocks going up with housing that's built for, you know, overseas investors to buy mm. and rent out and, and, and far too much. And I'm I'm not necessarily sure I buy that. I mean, I think there's there's all sorts. There's just been a preponderance of these groovy glass towers going up. So it just looks like there's lots of that. Um, I mean, I, the trouble is it's very difficult to try and work out in the long term. I mean, let me give you an example. Um, when I started in the industry, which was back in 79, um, and for a few years after that, people who moved to London, for instance, used to make four or five purchases before they left. So they'd buy a one-bedroom flat in Clapham, yeah, a two-bedroom right. flat between the commons, a three-bedroom house between the commons, a four-bedroom house in Wandsworth, and a five-bedroom house in Putney, and then they move out to the country. The problem is, because of stamp duty, they now don't do that. They buy a maybe a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom, which they stay in for 10 or 11 years. Then they buy the five-bedroom house somewhere else if they can afford it, and then they move out of London. So knowing what to build is often a moving target. So it's not surprising that people mm. have actually built stuff that gives them a return and they can rent out, you know, in in the short term to people. I mean, who knows what's going to be happening? Are we going to have a, you know, the build to rent sector is struggling because if you're in a build, if you're trying to buy a development for build to rent, your return is over the long term. And it's very difficult to compete with developers who are buying to, who are building to sell yeah. because their return is shorter so they can afford to pay more. So there's so much stuff that needs this long-term political view on it that I don't think you can make any judgment about that. Okay. So uh, there, anything to add, Rob, on that, on, on, the, on builders yeah, I'm generally? Sure I'm, I'm 100% on that, Ed. I think um, it's... Yeah. From my office in Canary Wharf... Everywhere you turn, there's another tower block, all building one- and two-bedroom apartments, all sort of, well, I think I counted about eight of them within three, four hundred yards, mm. all having icon another iconic building written across it. Another, <laughs> I think six of them were claiming to be the tallest of whatever residential towers in, in the world or country or whatever it was. And, you know, I mean, every single one was the same. And if you're building the same stock constantly, then I think that does put a restriction on, on everyone when they are trying to to go up the ladder because you know everything that's being built another two bedroom flat another two bedroom yeah, no, you're flat right. another one bedroom flat no you're definitely right rob it's not a it, it's 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 you know i mean I, I i didn't mean to impugn that everything was being built is fine i think there are issues with the types i'm just saying that as a general in the general scheme of things there has to be a long-term set of plans that go Absolutely. with this uh, and yeah, i don't no, I, totally I, agree with that. I don't think that's in the pipeline at the moment so um, it's, it's difficult when you do look at london and say well if you if you were going to go and build four and five bedroom houses where would you go there's just not the land to be building four and five bedroom family types of accommodation, and I think that you know city inner city locations probably more than ever now are very much around that sort of certain age group that are going to be there. And then you're yeah. right that the people are going to then suddenly go from a two bedroom flat in Islington to a four or five bedroom house out in the um, commuter belt. Mm. And I still I still want to know how builders are going to fare once um, the the crack cocaine that's uh, helped to buy, as Henry Pryor likes to put it, um, when when that finally ends, is uh, are, are there any signs that 
they'll be able to cope without help to buy. I just, I can't see how they can. Well, I think it did its job, and it it did its job initially in that it sort of helped people think about buying. And as we all know, there's a political motive to this. You know, the the, the Tories always convince people who own houses are like more likely to vote Tories. That's the old story, but. <laughs> um, the fact of the matter is that I think I think that the help to buy has produced a very serious danger in that there's a very thin carapace of risk profile that people who've bought help to buy have in a difficult or falling market. You know, if you've got a 40%, 50% mortgage, you've got 50% of your house value, your equity available to, to as a shock absorber. Mm. The people who've bought help to buy have got a 5% shock absorber. They've got no and within the next five years or so, they've got to start paying back the government yeah, for the bit right. that they borrowed and interest rates mm. are likely to be higher. So it's an absolute mm. disaster waiting to happen. Mm. Um, and it's so a- really what we ought to blame is the mortgage brokers that uh, of yesteryear that were lending 9,500, 105, 110%, shall we? <laughs> well, you see, that's very interesting you say that. Um, no, I... D- look... In the, <laughs> in the, in the, he's wriggling, by the way. No, I'm sort, I'm sort of wriggling because I've got a bad back rather than anything That's else. That's true. Um, no, I, th- I think I'm I'm a big believer that actually, and we have this debate in the office all the time, more of an argument really, I, d- I don't believe in 100% mortgages. I, I believe that people should always have skin in the game, as I think I said to you before, Rob. The, um, I, I, I liked... I like the fact that people have to put some kind of deposit in, and 5% is probably about right. Um, the problem that happened previously, the the fact that banks were lending 100 120%, I think that's a bit of a red herring in terms of what went wrong. There were, there were some fundamental issues around the type of lending, the type of the way that those institutions were were borrowing their money in the first place in order to lend it out to people that was more of an issue. Um, all Northern Rock were doing, for example, was that they took the view that, okay, first-time buyers with us are taking a 95% out mortgage and then they're going out and they're putting 20, 25, 30 grand on credit card to uh, to do the house up. So why don't we just put the two together? And actually make it available at a cheaper rate. So it was. It's, it's not quite so simplistic. To say the issue was over a hundred percent borrowing. There were there were some fundamental issues um, and behind it in my book. Well, I think if people come along and ask for the mortgages, you know, if the if the product's there, people will sell it to them. I mean, I, you know, you can't you can't blame them for that. But I think the. Um, Let's face it, everything did go back too much of it the other way with the mortgage market review. Everything closed down a bit too much. Mm. Is it now, you know, you're beginning to read again, aren't you, about these uh, 100% well, non-status yeah, type mortgages coming back well, again? There's, a, there's no such thing as non-status anymore. Okay, well, self forget that. But but yeah. as a as a well-respected mortgage broker in the industry, Bond, would you say that they... Are you worried at all about what you're seeing with the mortgages? No, I, I, I genuinely I'm not. I think if you look at those 100% mortgages, they're family guarantee mortgages. So there there is... Um, parents are putting a, a 10% deposit on account with the lender. So so in effect, when you when you add it all up, you're not actually strictly borrowing no, you, to, to be 100%. Fair, and you've the always affordability been... rules are completely different, and that's yeah. the key. Now, you've always been very um, even about this on our, in some of our LBC days, you mm. know, answering phones from people calling in. You've always been very straight about that and said, no, it's not the way it seems. You know, more affordability is... 
is definitely more of an issue than it used to be. I think it had got to be too much of an issue. Now it's come back a yeah. little bit, but it's still a big issue. Yeah. I mean, getting a mortgage is it's not quite like it used to be. I, when I got my first mortgage, I almost had to put a top hat on and go down to the bank manager and persuade him that I was good for the money. So it's not quite gone back to those levels, but it's but it is not. You know, it's you sort of have to prove yourself yeah. in in areas and and your total spending habits are taken yeah. into account. Passport and a smile was the. Uh... Was the under used to be technique. enough? Yeah, yeah. Used to be no, enough. it's totally changed, and of course they're stress testing now as well, based on if interest rates go up. So, but that's how much a whole is that? Three percent? It's up? about three. It's uh, on on average three percent above the uh, reversion rate. So, so what the variable rate is. So actually, they're stress testing at around about seven percent now. Uh, yeah. Seven and a half, which is probably actually cases. rather ahead of the long term average, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so I want to just go on to estate agency because there's been a lot in the press about that. Um, and uh, we've had, um, well, a couple of comments on Twitter, actually. But uh, state agency seems to have been suffering for a while. So we've seen issues at Foxton's countrywide. Um, and now people like Purple Bricks and eMove. Is, uh, what, what's happening to the online model? Is it the disruptor uh, is, is suffering rather than the disruptors? No, that's the other way around. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, well, I'll be very interested to hear Rob's comment on that. Obviously, Rob, I think it's probably fair to say for our listeners that Rob hasn't been involved with Easy Property for, a, what, two years is it now, Rob? Well, um, no, not really. I am still on the board there. Oh, are so, you? Okay, uh, okay. Well, in which yeah, case, yeah. apologies. I take that back. It'll be very interesting to hear your opinion. Per- personally, I, I, I feel that that the original model was was not the right model for, for the online yep. sector. And indeed, I don't think there was any particular model. Some people wanted to put boots on the ground. Some people wanted to do everything digitally. There were some brave people around who were prepared to go and raise money and try things early mm. on. They had to try it. Equally, the high street had been trying different things. Alison Platt at Countrywide perhaps didn't surround herself with enough estate agents to get the opinions of, his, of estate agents. So, I'd, And I think a lot of the big... High street agents haven't got it right, and they all know they need to change, but they're not sure how to change. So I'm not surprised everyone's struggling. You know, Purple Bricks have achieved an extraordinary amount in the period they've been around. I mean, you know, it's four or five years, whatever it is, even less, I think it is. Yeah. They've become the most valuable agent. Even now, their their value with their share price where it is is still the thick end of half a billion pounds. <laughs> I mean, it's an enormous amount of money. Yeah. So um, th- there's a lot of very, very impressive stuff going on. Equally, there's a, there's been a bit of hubris in that market, a lot of... Um, People who made themselves slightly unpopular by jumping up and down and pointing at agencies and saying, "Oh, you're all, you know, you're all doomed." Mm. Um, the fact of the matter Probably is, that... accepted, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that, Rob, but but, um, but I think the truth, uh, which I think Rob will probably agree with, is somewhere in the middle. Absolutely, I think that when when we got into it, whenever it was four or five years ago, as well. Now it was about the same time as Purple Breaks, and and I think you know what we. We had to make some noise because that was just the way it was, and you know, um, the PR agencies were all over it, and it was all part of the the whole uh, way of a movement of what was expected of us at the time to to draw attention to a sector that was absolutely emerging. So there was a lot of uh, stuff that was done tongue in cheek, which didn't actually um, necessarily get taken as tongue in cheek by some of the uh, publications, should we say? But ultimately, I think you know, what we what we've seen is the model broken is the online model disappearing well that's it's nonsense i don't think it is um although and i am going to have an although in there mm. yeah, purple bricks it is now the largest by volume of house sales estate agents in the country well that's got a fixed price model and it is doing its thing so it's it's successful and i think it, it's like any business any agency that's been that way for many many years 
it's what works in your area, your town, your region, whatever it might be. And for some people, uh, a fixed price model works. I'm not convinced that <coughs> totally a fixed price, um, only a fixed price works for estate agencies. Because I think you know, the, the difference between, and this is where I think we've all gone slightly awry over the, the last four or five years as online agents, you know, the, the difference when you look at a property in Hull to Kensington to mm. wherever, you know, that it, mm. it's just too much of a differential between the different regions and the different way people buy houses across the Well, country. except, Rob, to interrupt you, it's interesting that the majority of Purple Bricks' business is done in the north, the Midlands and the yep. north, where the actual fee that they end up charging is not wildly different to what they'd pay to a high street agent. Or maybe more in, in some yeah. places. So, yeah, so yes, you're absolutely right. And I think that's because, you know, once you start getting, as you know, um, and as probably most of the listeners will know very well, is that once you start getting a board presence and you start getting that, that um, market share in a region, you can almost charge what you want because you are now the number one agent in that location. And, you know, that justifies your your fee, which is sometimes in, in the fixed fee model slightly higher than, than it would be locally. But... You know, I think having one price fits all is a difficult market to to contend with. Um, and also, I think it's, it's quite restricted. You know, when you look at it as a, if I'm being critical of the online model, and I, when I say online model, I'm going to change that to a fixed fee model. The difficulty is that you, know, you are going into list the property with far more restrictions on you than you would be on a as a traditional estate agent, yeah. I mean, as a traditional estate agent, if you wanted to go and do a fixed fee, you can go and do a fixed fee. If you want to do a success, if you want to do a split fee, you can do all these things. But obviously, the the online agents over the last four or five years have always had that restriction as to, you know, we are a fixed fee. Uh, and I think that's probably something that um, has hampered the expansion of the estate agencies across the, uh, or growing a greater market share. Because we actually have less tools than a uh, than a traditional agent, yeah. and I mean, don't forget I me. Mean, I've also had traditional estate energy businesses for the last fifteen, sixteen years. Um, so it's it's something that I'm on both sides of the fence on. And I do think that you know the reality is that online agents have given the industry a kick up the backside as far as bringing technology into play. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think yeah. that's the big thing that's happened now, and and. What we've seen probably for three of the last four years is a convergence of models as to what is going to happen and how traditional agents then start bringing more technology in and then they're starting to say, well, what is a tech, what is a, an online agent compared to a high street agent? Is it just that you've got a yeah. high street presence and then what happens when a high street store shuts and you end up with a first floor office in a you know, call center type environment but covering a region rather than national? Is that no, now no longer a, a local business? So I think... Yeah, the model in a state agency has never been quite so varied, ever. Mm. Um, and I think you know the likes of of what you've done, Ed, with with Viber, is taking a whole different approach into agency, putting some technology and a different mentality of outsourcing elements and, and pushing stuff around, which just hasn't been there mm. you know, ten years ago. I mean, Christ, Rightmove wasn't even out well, when <laughs> I first had my own estate agency business. So yeah. No, we've seen that. We've seen, yeah, we've seen that a lot in the mortgage industry as well. The the online guys have come in, and what they've really done is, it's just made everyone. They, they've woken everyone up with a jolt. Well, I think there's got to be a focus on what the customer wants. And I exactly. think that's one of the things exactly. that has happened and yeah. shaken it up, saying, "Well, actually, yeah. you've got to to treat a customer like gold dust. Absolutely. You've got to treat a customer how they want to be treated, 
not how you want to treat them and how you want to... But that's the point, though. Rob, that's the point, isn't it? Because the, the, the average age of buyers at the moment is, what, the thick end of 40. That's even a first-time buyer, let alone yep. the rest of the market. So the type of people who buy properties at the moment are still likely to be people for whom WhatsApping everybody or using an online platform is probably not necessarily their principal mean, means of, of communication. They're yep. still used to picking up the phones. They want to see someone talk to them. If you turn around to my kids, I've got 25-year-old twins. There is, if they're lucky enough to be buying something in the next sort of three or four years, there is no way they're going to want to go in and see some crusty old bloke in a suit or sit on the telephone to them. They're mm. going to want to communicate via WhatsApp. They're going to want to use, you know, they're yeah. going to want to use a yeah. completely different suite of tools yeah. to communicate. We don't want to talk to people, Ed. No, they don't. They just, and, and, but and they I, do want to communicate with a person. Well, that but but that's entirely fair enough, and yeah, mm. the person is there to, to to deliver advice, and that's the one thing that yeah. you cannot do with an, with a, you, you can't substitute the human feeling for valuation. Valuation of a property is vital. Yeah, you know, this this is all about selling <coughs> someone's principal asset, and you cannot do that with an automated valuation model. AVMs have tried and tried and tried. They may or may not get close, but they never take demand into account. There's all sorts of things, all little nuances. And I, do you know something? I think the the fixed fee model has sort of slightly defeated itself. I can't help believe what is wrong with delivering standard estate agency services without the, without so many of the costs at the back end and still doing it for a percentage fee. I think that, you know, I get quite frustrated when I sit and I listen to um, some of the snipers in the industry talking about how the online sector is finished and and again I'm I'm quoting the online sector we know what we're talking about here. Yeah. Um you know the the Connell's hatched situation was an experiment for, for Connell's. Richard uh, sorry David Livesey came out when they bought it and said this is an experiment for us we're going to try it out see what happens. It didn't work for them so they've closed it down. The people who were there are still working within the Connell's operation. It was just it didn't work out for them. Emove we know the history of that. You know, I think it could have been done differently, whatever. But I don't think just because because Hatched and and Emove have gone down in the way they have done, and the Purple Bricks um, situation has been the way it has over the last three weeks, signals the end of the world for them. I think there's just a God, I hate the expression, but there's a sort of pivot of some sort coming. They sort of go in and go into a different way of sort yeah, of it's a little correction, acting, acting some, some sort yeah. of a correction. And I think that's fine. But I think anybody who thinks that estate that consumers of estate agency services are going to want to consume in the same way they do now in ten years' time really is living in clown. Yeah, totally agree. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think you know the, the the question for me, and you know, I know obviously I was as guilty as anyone, if not more so, for. You're putting PR out there about the the way a state agency is in the future, et cetera, et cetera, and the, the market share that online was going to have. And yeah, you know, okay, it's certainly been proved wrong in the in the amount of online share that has been happening. But you know, when you look at the marketplace and you you say, well, you know, how healthy is a traditional estate agency business today? And okay, there's lots of other forces in there, and it's not just online. And and you know, I think that's a, a key factor. But yeah, you know, there are an awful lot of businesses within the traditional sector that are having the same pain that are not necessarily as high profile as the online agents. And you yeah. look at, well, even though you do look at countrywide mm. and everyone has certainly put the boot into them over the last few years. Um, and there are lots of reasons why that's had a lot of grief. But again, as we said, Foxton's, you know, all these businesses are having an awfully torrid time. And friends of mine that have got businesses are down to back to 09 sort of numbers mm. and have had those sort of numbers for a long time you are seeing businesses dropping off the high street 
and you know other businesses that are starting up aren't starting on the high street. So you know these guys are. You know, I've got other friends who've started recently, taken franchises that are are starting from barn conversions in the middle of nowhere because they don't get the footfall through the, the high yeah, street no, location absolutely. anymore. Yeah. So you know to say that we were all totally wrong in in looking at the future of a state agency, I think is not fair. I think you know when you look at if you were to start an estate agency up today, would you go diving into the middle of the high street and go and take an expensive lease on a, a prime property? And I don't think there's many today that would rush to do that. No. Um, so we've got a couple of minutes left. Thank you very much for, for that, gents. I just want to end on uh, positives and negatives. Actually, no, sod negatives, positives. Give me, give me some positives that you can see in uh, Thank God we've only got a few minutes left. Well, no, I think there are plenty. Do you know what? Come I, on, Rob. Do you know what? I am, I'm, I'm a fan of difficult property markets because I, as a buyer in a difficult property market, it's the very best time. To, most, people, most people sell a property because they want to buy a bigger one. Mm-hmm. And in London, when things are difficult, people in London in particular get, get a very macho sense of property the value of their property and they cannot bring themselves to admit to the bloke who sits on the desk next door in the city or wherever it is that they've just sold their property for less than they bought it for heaven yeah, forbid no, absolutely. or less than they think it's worth that is rubbish let's say you've got your five hundred thousand pound flat and you sell it for 450 but you were looking at buying a seven hundred and fifty thousand pound house which is now six hundred thousand you've lost fifty thousand on what you're selling but you're gaining a hundred thousand on yeah, what you're buying yeah what's not to like about that yeah. i just think you know that there's there's an awful lot of negativity around about property, and I think if people turn that around and looked at it positively, the caveat is that you need to look at property as a long-term, it's something you're going to live in. Yeah. Don't look at it as a two- or three-year investment. Look at totally it as a five- agree. to ten-year uh, thing you're going to live in. So I think mm. that can be taken very positively at a time when things are difficult. Uh, Rob, give us some positive warming words. <laughs> oh, I, look, I think yeah, this isn't going to last forever. I think it's a, you know, it is a tough time, um, but I think certainly you know, the, the market will change. We need to get some stability in it. Um, is it impossible to make any money as it is now? No, I think you know, certainly as from an agent's point of view, you just got to take on the right properties that with motivated sellers that are sensible, as Ed says, you know, are sensible about taking a, you know, a view as to what their property is actually mm. worth, uh, and if they have got a motivation to sell. Then you know there are buyers out there that will buy properties. You know, it's, it's not a dead market. It's just no. often and seems... everyone is looking at, at at sort of trying to get a a bit of a deal. We yeah. do need that stability, though. And I think a lot of people are sitting on their hands. Once we get that come back, then yeah, hopefully we'll we'll go back to the. Um, and do be aware well, that a lot of the people you see commentating on social media and the press and everything else have an agenda more often than not. Oh, I mean, you know, there, there are people, you know, in the past, I've been just as guilty of talking things up. You've got people like the lovely Henry who are buying agents who naturally talk things down. You, you, you just take all this stuff with a pinch of salt. You know, if you can afford it, buy it. It's a great time to be a buyer. Good. Yes, I agree. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, gentlemen. Uh, thank you, Ed. And thanks, Rob. Very nice Pleasure. to have you both. Um, and thank you all for listening. We will be back next month, and uh, I think we might have Henry Pryor next month, so uh, we can uh, we can talk to him about your your comment there, Rob. Um, Ed, so Don't blame uh, me for this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Uh, right. If you have any comments or questions in the meantime, to put to either myself or any of our future guests, you can contact me on Twitter at Monta's Blog or at Corico. Until next time, this is the Property Show signing off.